prize. I've already got the prize. The prize is the pleasure of finding a thing out. The Earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. You realize when you know how to think, it empowers you far beyond those who know only what to think. And we're good. All right. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this first episode of season two of Griffins and Gluons. My name is Elliot. I'm going to be your host today. And joining me as my co-host is the president. No, not Joe, not Donald or Vlad. But the president of the Physics and Astronomy Club, Josh Cadogan. Josh, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back on another episode. No worries. It's glad to have you back. And new year, new show, and new logo as well. A huge shout out to Ted, who is one of our club members, uh, for doing the illustration on the new logo. Uh, Ted reached out to me on Discord, pretty much asking why our old logo looks so sad and amateur, and offered to draw us a new one. But I will have you know, Mr. Ted that I spent a full five minutes on a janky free logo website, putting that, putting that thing together. I put my heart and soul into it, but the art looks insane. It looks great. And for that, I'll let this one slide. So thanks so much for doing that for us. And for those listening, if you have drawings, songs, patches, or any other artistic pieces, please feel free to share them on our discord at U of G P A C. We'll have more info on that on our Facebook and Instagram. So look up U of G P A C for more details. All right. With that out of the way, Josh, I'm sure you'll agree with me. We're in the presence of greatness. I can guarantee it. I can feel it through the pixels. Um, and that's not just our gut feeling as well, because our guest today has been awarded Professor of the Year four consecutive times in a row by the Guelph Engineering Society. He's a Guelph alumni, completing his bachelor's, master's, and PhD in mathematics at Guelph, all while leading the Math and Stats Club as their president, reviewing games as a columnist for a local newspaper, and pursuing postdoctoral research on designing courses in differential equations and business mathematics. If you got to be in his classes before the pandemic, you could catch him in Thorne, Roz, or McNaughton. Now you can catch him streaming both on Twitch and in a Zoom classroom near you. Professor Matt Demers, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot. And by the way, it's actually like seven or eight years in a row. Oh, okay. I don't know, but it's been, it's been a lot. I don't, I lost count, but it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's actually not a really flex. Cool. It's not a flex if you're correcting me, I guess. Yeah, I guess I have old, I guess I have old information. Seven or eight years in a row. How, how do, how does, what is the criteria for that? How did you, like, it, like, is it a unanimous vote? Is it just from so feedback? It is like, a, it's a student vote. Um, so, you know, and I, I've, always been a little careful about celebrating that too loudly. I mean, the fact is that there aren't many people that teach as many engineering students as I do. So yeah. more people experience, right? There's some bias to that sample. Let's, let's just say that. So I appreciate the acknowledgement and, uh, you know, it means a lot to me. I really like all of my students and I, I teach a lot of engineering students that are really cool. So, uh, it's, it's great. And I, I have a lot of fun with them. So. So I, I guess this, I wanted to kick things off kind of, you know, asking about your time as a student uh, at the university. Um, you did mo pretty much all of your second uh, post-secondary education here. Um, you were, you know, very active in student life, you know, you know, 
studying one of the hardest fields offered here. An engineer just rolled and got really angry there for a second, I know, but I stand by it. I got to ask, though, uh, what, what kept the momentum going for you? You know, what, what made you stick around in Guelph and, and just do, you know, all, all, the, all the really hard stuff here? Yeah, I guess, first of all, I would like to, I think that everybody's different disciplines are tough. I mean, you know, it, it's interesting to find a footing and to find some sort of interest in, in terms of math research. Um, but I had a good time along the way, and I would never diminish um, anyone in any of our other disciplines uh, in the sciences or otherwise at the university. So um, I will never uh, claim to be some, some superhero in that respect. Um, but yeah, sorry, I guess the thing that kept me coming back here, I mean, in the start, going from my bachelor's to my master's degree, I, uh, I really just liked the campus. I had, I had friends here. Um, you know, I, I knew, uh, the campus really well. I, I knew courses really well. I saw opportunities to potentially be a TA for those courses. And I enjoyed the thought of that. My experiences were really positive in all of that. And, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess during my master's, I had the chance to, you know, cover for a prof one day and that was for a big calculus course. And, and that went really, really well. I had the chance to lead some first year labs and that went really, really well. And when I finished in my master's and I was looking at the potential of doing a PhD, I had a few schools in mind. Um, I have ended up applying both here and Waterloo, uh, but I found that if I stayed here, I had the opportunity to have a co-advisor at uh, the University of Milan in Italy, which would allow for some interesting um, experiences and uh, connections and so on. But also, I knew I had a foothold into some of the uh, courses and teaching and, and so on. I'd already made a big impact, um, I think, in my TAing. And, you know, there were certain opportunities that were on the radar with regards to stepping into... Uh, the role of another prof that had gone on sabbatical. And so uh, I actually had the opportunity to teach myself uh, for the first time. Uh, and that was unlike anything else, you know, it was so inspiring. It was so um, successful in the end that I just knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. It, it to such a degree that like, I don't know, uh, in, okay, to 2009, 2010, the middle of my PhD, I actually took over um, I, I co-taught Calculus 1 with another faculty member. I was 26 at the time, and that faculty member was like 76. So we were like opposite ends of the spectrum uh, and in terms of like our seniority. It went super well. We got along famously. And then I applied to teach Calculus 2 all by myself. And that was my first big class. I had 500 students. I was young. Um, and uh, yeah, it was phenomenal. But... I don't know. I, I guess I, I finished that up and I was almost depressed for a while because I didn't know if, if I'd ever get the chance to do um, that teaching again. I, I It meant a lot to me. And I knew that, you know, it's tough. You can go through, you can get a PhD and there's no guarantee that you're ever going to get a job in academia. Um, there are a few positions and lots of people, let alone something that was teaching focused, which at the time were few and far between. And I think there's a little bit more of that now than there was even 10 years ago. But yeah, so, so I guess, like, there was that interest. There was this, uh, you know, my, um, you know, research projects were interesting, but there was a lot more to do with, like, 
uh, different contacts that were available, the different people that I was working with, um, the courses that I was close to, and most importantly, the opportunities that I saw in staying here. So yeah, I guess that was a long-winded answer to a short question, but. No, no, very detailed and thorough. Just like your teaching, might, might I ask. <laughs> <you. laughs> um, I, was, I was a bit curious then. You, you mentioned, so you've been, you've been at Guelph since you're undergraduate, but I think you, you told us when I was in your Diffie's class that initially you were a physics major. I was. And uh, given that this is a physics podcast, I wanted to talk a little about that. Uh, <laughs> mainly, ma- mainly I, I know you said E&M. E&M, I think, was the, was the, the kill yeah. for that. You know, it was a combination of things, I want to say. So when I applied to universities as a high school student, I actually applied to math at two universities. And the, um, uh, sorry, let me just shut down my email here because I'm getting notifications and stuff that I don't really want to pollute the podcast with. But um, yeah, uh, when it came to um, my applications, I knew I liked math. And then I saw Guelph's uh, theoretical physics program in a brochure. And it sounded really interesting. I totally loved a project that I did in my physics class on black holes. And like the whole idea fascinated me completely. I've always been super interested in like the nature of the universe, the nature of like time and space and all of these heady things that no one really has the answers to. But um, yeah, and I decided that it might be really, really interesting to go in that direction. So I just kind of randomly applied to the theoretical physics program at Guelph. And that's the one I ended up accepting. Um, knowing that I was going to get a lot of the um, other science and math along the way anyway. And then as it turns out, right, I liked, I loved mechanics. I did well in it. I loved the fact that, you know, to solve a problem, I could kind of parse it down and view it from different methods, energy methods, or drawing a free body diagram and like drawing the right angles and and calculating forces and all that kind of, you could, you could like taste the problems, you know, um, and then E&M came, and at the time, I don't know if I wasn't mature enough as a student or responsible enough or if it was a combination of different factors, but I just lost all intuition. Or I didn't have the same ability to, to visualize or to produce things. Or, you know, I could maybe understand some formulas, but then it came to trying to apply those to word problems, and I couldn't figure out what went with what for the life of me. And I... I've always been interested in wondering, like, if I went back now, it would probably seem trivial or, or much easier than I thought it was at the time. Um, and I think that's just the nature of, of learning and growing as a learner. But uh, at the same time, I was thoroughly enjoying my calculus classes. I had a really inspiring first year instructor. And uh, come my second year, I just decided to um, start taking math courses. And I made the uh, official decision, like, the second half of of second year just uh, made an appointment with my my program counselor did a few signatures i still took a few physics courses as uh interest i took the astronomy course i took the energy course um i did a couple of of these things kind of as background and and yeah interest because they were still fascinating to me i just felt like my heart was probably closer to the math side okay and then i guess that that answered another thought that I had as to why you uh, you swapped to math as opposed to engineering because I know at least in the courses that you you primarily teach um, they're very engineering heavy to begin with yeah that's true I mean 
So I had a lot of friends. When I was in residence in first year, I was actually close to a uh, uh, first year engineering cluster. And so I worked a lot with them on, um, on calculus courses. Um, it, I would say, though, that the, the reason that I teach a lot of engineering students now is simply because of the structure of our department, of our college, rather, um, because we are in a college where we have a couple of these core math courses that teach a broad range of students that are in all disciplines. But if you look at the size of each discipline, engineering takes up more than half of the college in itself. Yeah. So, you know, as a teaching focused professor that teaches first and second year, I'm, you know, doing a lot of these big core courses, which are going to be dominated by engineering students, simply due to the way our, our college is structured. For sure. So I kind of wanted to ask you about your, uh, your postdoctoral work. So you've, you've got your, your stream figured out, your love and math. Um, you go into postdoctoral research and you design two of your own courses, um, from what I understand. Um, one in applied differential equations, the other in business math. Um, what kind of design considerations did you, did you take? How did you kind of, how did you kind of build this from the ground up and, and did anything from, from your, from your research carry on into your teaching? Like, do you still use some of those techniques even yeah. today? Thanks. I would say that like, I don't know. I would say that the first, it, it, I did do some work with business mathematics. Differential equations is my, like, you know, the, the thing I'm most proud of, I would say, but part of, Kind of the, the one of the big reasons that I'm here, I would say, when hired, along with my colleague, uh, uh, Dr. Kim Levere, who a lot of people will know, um, mm -hmm. we were hired to actually transform the first year calculus courses, Math 1200 and Math 1210. So it was kind of writing that and uh, kind of refining it, um, modernizing it, updating it. Um, you know, those are some of the things that I'm really proud of as well as the math 2270. To be clear, though, I would say that like every course that I do, I pretty much write from scratch. I'll take a textbook. I'll take some of my old notes. I'll take some different sources that I find um, and kind of craft my own examples, come up with my own uh, explanations for things. Try to, I like to have a sort of structure where, you know, I boil down a topic, talk about it in terms of, you know, simpler terms whenever I can but most importantly, link it to things that you already know or that you should already know and link it to where you might need it one day to kind of like make sure that there's none of this. You want to shut down all that conversation about, you know, well, professor, why are we doing this? You know, like that has to not be there because that just undermines trust in you, trusting your course. You have to be able to justify the things that you do. Um, so creating these courses is always with this in mind. And if I think about the big, the first big projects were in calculus and in uh, differential equations. I think that a lot of it was applying my own experience as a student. What made me mad as a student? What made me like happy as a student with regards to my professors, with regards to teaching, with regards to courses? And the first thing that stood out in my mind was, oh my God, I hate paying $250 for a textbook and then never using it. Because I think that's just a universal experience. It was for me. I would say that the, the majority of books that I had in the past were things that I spent a ton of money on and then I used as homework assignments a couple of times through the course and did a little bit of reading, but then my notes were better anyway. So what do you do? And then, 
you know, there was a mistake in the textbook and your prof says, well, don't worry about chapter seven because that's beyond the scope of this course and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You have this like book that you use three chapters out of it. And then some of those chapters go beyond what you need or don't do enough. And, and ultimately it's just really frustrating. So we really wanted to design like an all-in-one resource. And that's where our course manuals came into effect. There was a course manual for calculus beforehand, but um, it was accompanied by a textbook. So our course manuals basically are self-published, fill in the blank. So you bring them to every lecture. Um, and then there are examples at the end of every section that are written by me, you know, or, or by us in the in case of calculus, myself and Kim. And uh, that way we can know that every single one of them was written for a reason and that they're relevant and that they, you know, if there's a problem, we can correct it. And we have full communication and control over what's happening. And we aren't at the whims of some textbook uh, publisher that's putting out a new version every two years and charging an extra 10 bucks and is providing limited usefulness to, to students. And that's not to diminish, right? There are some great textbooks out there. Um, I'm using a, a supplemental text right now for numerical methods. So I don't want to completely like, you know, uh, cut them out uh, in terms of their usefulness. But having a cheap or now um, in recent times free resource uh, in terms of course notes has been extremely helpful and definitely something that uh, students have been excited about. So that's been one big element that I've wanted to introduce and I've used them ever since because it's just really popular um, and I think really useful for learning. The, there are other things as well. So um, one example that I had uh, that I think we just brought in the second year, like two, I'm thinking 2014, 2015, I was in the park over the summertime tossing a Frisbee with some students because as many people will know, I, I, I love playing Ultimate Frisbee. It's not necessarily something I'm like amazing at or anything, but um, you know, there's some students on my teams and my TAs and, and so on. And uh, these students were in my second year course. And uh, for whatever reason, I think it was like July or maybe early August. And they were talking about, well, what, is, what does differential equations look like? And as a joke, just to like, I don't know. I was like, I don't want to think about my courses right now. I'm practicing my, you know, hammers or whatever. And I just kind of shut it down. I was like, well... We have a test in the first day. And then, like, the students stopped. Like, there were two of them. Um, and we're like, are you serious? And then I was, like, not serious at first. And I was thinking to myself, like, you know what? Like, maybe that's actually not the worst idea. And so <laughs> then I kind of had this, this uh, I don't know, I want to say revelation, that maybe it was okay Um to introduce something like this. And that kind of is what, uh, that's when the warm-up test was born. And so we have these really early semester tests. Uh, and the reason that we have these early semester tests now is that I guess the first couple times I taught that course, you get to a particular differential equation that required some integration technique that, you know, you'd have students that would pause, put up their hand, be like, but sir, I, I don't remember what that is, or we didn't learn that last year, or whatever. I'm like, you should have learned that last year because it's literally in the course before this. Like, you should know this, and I need to depend on you knowing this. So 
what the warm-up test does is it kind of gets that away out of the way early on in the course where I can have a test specifically devoted to nothing but knowledge you should know. <laughs> and if you don't know it, it's a chance to shore that up early in the semester when you don't have a lot of other stuff going on. So that later when we get to those techniques or when we need that knowledge, I can just say, hey, remember this? Because even if you don't remember it from last year, you know you're supposed to know it because it was on your warm-up. And things have just gone much more smoothly since then. And uh, students have eaten it up because it's designed in a way that if they do well, it takes some stress off the final exam, the way that we do the grades for that as well. And uh, then, yeah, so Professor Kim Levere and myself, like we wrote up a paper and submitted to an educational journal a couple of years after we tried that for the first time and did some surveys and stuff. And we had some positive reception. I've had good reception from students ever since. And that's just become a part of my first and second year courses. I think it's a, a useful thing. So I hope that speaks to a couple of different uh, aspects. Again, going on for too long, I'm sure. But <laughs> no, 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 that's that's very in-depth and, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, thank you. And, and I wanted to ask you, because like you put a lot of emphasis on course delivery on that, on that, on that detail of, you know, having a, a, accessible, informative tools for the students in your classes. Is that in itself, th does that kind of aspect of your teaching come from your mathematical background? Is that, is that a mathematical concept in a way? Kind of like this idea of having, you know, certain conditions that you can't really break from and kind of idealize it from there. Is, is that, or am I just kind of talking out of my, uh, out of my head here? I said, out of your head or out of your what? <laughs> I, can't say, I can't say the other thing. I can't say the other thing. But right. in a lot of cases, yeah, my head is the other thing. So that's why it... So anyway. So. I would say that I was never trained on this formally at all. Okay. Um, I think that there's something to do with... Uh, I, I, I don't really know. I guess my experiences through my, um, my tutoring... And my TAing in the past and my first my first goes at sessional teaching and, and such, that helped to kind of shape um, my path and my, my value system, I guess, when it comes to teaching and learning. That's not an easy thing to say, right? Like, there are a couple of things that assist, right? I am a teaching-focused professor, so I have a much higher emphasis placed on teaching in my job description, in my distribution of effort. So... In some sense, I feel like, you know, it's just a, 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 a more strongly defined part of my job to make sure that I pay attention to these things, you know, whereas, like, I don't have as much of my uh, duties devoted to research. So maybe I have a little bit more time to spend on this stuff. And it's not to say that I don't have any, um, but... You know, when it comes to course design and, um, you know, making sure that I have a, a course that's carefully laid out and, and well-structured and, and where I tried my best to link to those courses and, like, I'll have conversations with professors um, in different departments to see, like, how can this course best serve what you're doing right now? You know, I don't think this is something that people do very often, but I think it's really important at the same time. But, you know, perhaps... I don't know, I can look at that like an expectation of, of my, or I expect it of myself because of, of that, uh, you know, uh, the effort that I think is required as part of a teaching focused position. And I don't know how much of that is on me or how much of that is 
I've been supported by the administration in everything I've done. So, um, okay. But I don't think that it was explicitly trained into me at any point along the way. And it really has nothing to do with any of the um, things that I studied in my own degrees. So uh, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's as good as I can answer that question, I think. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, well, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm a bit curious now if you, given that kind of perspective of how you go about teaching, uh, I guess for our listeners who are at a lower level maybe in their degree, could you give a matsplanation of like, the, the three courses that you, you teach. A matsplanation of the three <laughs> courses. Like, like... Uh, like a real Numi's Diffies as the big three. Like the actual material? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, so uh, in like a sentence apiece, differential equations is useful calculus extensions for better modeling and applications. Numerical methods is when you can't solve a problem, how do computers do it and what are the uh, errors associated with doing so? And real analysis is what happens if you make things more abstract and more general in the goal of more carefully defining familiar math concepts. Okay. Those are those are like the uh, in a nutshell version of what I'm what I've taught. Uh, last year, this year, and that I'm slated to teach next year. Very cool. M- Matt's explanation. Someone has to trademark that quickly. <laughs> either, either you or Josh. Um, that would be uh, no. That's 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 excellent. I want to segue into a bit more of a. I don't want to say light combination of lighthearted and serious because we have some questions from some of the students. We we put out a notice so that you're going to be on. Um, and, uh, we put it out on our discord, Instagram to see, you know, what kind of things you would want to ask the great Demers. Um, so, uh, so (laughs) first, first one that I got, uh, pretty, pretty standard. How do you maintain your positivity? You never seem mad. You never seem down and about. You're always bringing up the energy. How do you, how do you always maintain, you know, how do you always stay positive? That is such a difficult question because there are some days when I finish and I feel anything but positive. Okay. I think that's important for people to talk about um, because I think especially in light of what's happened in the last year, it's really easy to uh, be stuck in this well without a way to get out, you know? Um, And I feel that to my, I'm a pretty social person. I miss, you know, um, games nights with friends. I miss, um, as I said, my Frisbee games, I miss giving people hugs, like, like the stupid stuff that everybody else is, is missing as well. Um, and sometimes, you know, I can be, I can give a lecture. I can make some little mistake that I'm sure everybody will forget right away, but I will be like thinking about and thinking like, why would I have said that now I'm going to have misled like all of these people I've now opened myself up to like having 10 people email me saying, but sir, you said this, and that's not actually what the truth, and they'll be absolutely right, and, you know, I'll fall into the same old patterns of feeling like I'm faking it, or I'm not worthy, or I'm a big fraud, and I think that there's a lot of this that happens, actually, in um, students and faculty in academia. I deal a lot with some imposter syndrome in wondering, like, why should I be here right now? 
when I'm, you know, I just kind of, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like I just kind of make things up as I go and I do what feels right. And as I said, I don't have any specific training in, in teaching. So why the hell am I doing what I'm doing? Uh, pardon. But, you know, like, um, and some days, you know, you'll, you'll have those lectures that don't go super, super well. You have that test that had that mistake on it or those mistakes on it. You have that student that's not very happy with their mark or the way that you approached a, a lecture, a situation or whatever. Um, or you're dealing with cheating in your classrooms and you feel disrespected, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, to say that I'm always positive is not true. But I would say that within any given situation where I'm dealing with students live, when I am talking to people, when I'm delivering material, I am genuinely interested in showing off examples because most of the time I think they're legitimately cool. Um, I like demonstrating new concepts because I think that oftentimes they're fascinating and they open your mind. And like you can make something that seems complicated into something really simple by drawing a picture or by, you know, in numerical methods, drawing out a flowchart and seeing, see, it's just this. Um, and so those things, as well as interactions with students and good questions from students and, and positive feedback from students and so on, right? Those lift you up and those make you feel better. You can forget about the things that you're uncertain about and that you're, um, you know, those, those negative aspects that I was speaking about earlier. But I think it's also, I don't know, I, I guess I see a lot of students do, I don't know, look up to me, I feel. And so I feel like there is a little bit of a responsibility that, you know, I can be in a crappy way. And students that know me really well will speak up and say, I could tell that you were having a bad day or whatever. But portraying a positive image and trying to make sure that everybody's seeing your material in a good light and having a good experience in your class, that's, I don't want to say it's my responsibility, but I want to try to create that atmosphere whenever I can. And that's whether or not I'm feeling sad or um, uh, right, not in a good uh, space. That can be wearing, right? By the end of the semester, you can be pretty worn down um, mm -hmm. if you never feel, uh, but it's hard to, it's hard to really articulate that, but I, I try to be positive whenever I can. And I do think it's important, but I can guarantee you that I'm just as not positive as the rest of us. Um, <laughs> I just, you know. Breaking news, Matt Demers is a, re is a normal human being. <laughs> I'm my best. Of course. And, and going back to something that you literally just mentioned about feeling disrespected when, when, when you see someone cheat, is that... Is that, is that usually sort of a reaction that, that most professors feel? Is that I like another argument so. again? No? Okay. This, this has happened a lot. Like in the last year, it's been tough when we go to online learning. It's much easier to, um, you know, I think for students to be uh, between a rock and a hard place and to treat um, an assessment, a test, whatever, a little bit irresponsibly. And um, mm -hmm. so I faced this a few times and I know that there are many people out there that can kind of set that stuff aside and just do the paperwork. And if you heard that, it was me dusting my hands off, um, you know, just, just putting that aside as part of the job. Uh, but I think like, I don't know, for some of us, 
for me at, at the very least, like I, I do, I take it more personally than I sometimes ought to. I've been told this by my husband. I've been told this by my, my parents who I will rant to on the phone. They're like, Matt, this is just part of your job. The students are in a tough spot. The students, the students might be making poor decisions based on where they're at. If you need to, you know, do uh, submit an academic misconduct investigation or something like this, it is not personal. They aren't trying to like undermine your course and all this kind of stuff. You're not trying to like, you know, prove what a, a you know, that you. Have, I don't know. Like, they tried to show me that it's not worth it to to put my feelings before. Any of that, but it's it's true. I think when you invest a lot, it does feel like, you know, oh, you have all these resources. I offer these office hours. I never see you there. I I have labs. You're never there. I I provide you with these resources on on CourseLink, and I can see when I go into CourseLink that you haven't accessed any of it. Why are you going and trying to cheat when you have all of this stuff there that I've tried to give you in like the the best way that I know how to try and convey this information. And so it's just really upsetting when I view it as students that actively, and I, I say students, but like we're talking so few, right? And it's easy to, to take those few and forget that I have hundreds of others that are treating a course really responsibly and, and doing those things to the best of their ability. Um, but yeah, it's so, it's so frustrating at the same time. And I, I, I do need to, I don't know, peel myself apart from that a little bit, I think, um, but yeah, I guess I guess that's uh, the best the best way I can describe that. Yeah, I guess I can see it being difficult too, because like for Diffies per se, like that's a course that you built yourself as well. On top of all that, um, I I guess that that leads into the the next one that we have uh, in terms of building it. Did you did you build the Doodle showcase after tests into the initial design, or did that develop you know after a while? <laughs> The, the slideshows after tests. Okay, so for anybody who doesn't know, because I'm sure there are going to be a, a few people that are listening to this that don't know. Um, in the first semesters that I uh, taught as a PhD student, I just had this cute idea. Because like you have students that will take a test, they'll be finished, and with a few minutes to go before they submit it, they'll be like, oh, you know what, I'm going to doodle something for Matt. Or, you know, uh, write down some silly joke at the end or whatever. And there were a few of these that were submitted at, uh, at some point. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to like lighten things up. You know, we got eh, 62 on the test. It's not the best test in the world. We're going to talk about it. But then we're going to lighten up the mood by showing some of the funny stuff that people drew on tests. And that's kind of just become a tradition. At first, it was annoying as heck because we used to grade with paper in person around tables. So we'd finish grading after like a long night and then it wouldn't be done yet because I'd take those, those pages, go to the photocopy room and then have everything set out and scan things and send them to myself to, to kind of uh, have a record of all of that stuff. It's way easier now that we mark um, using Crowdmark digitally because I can just copy and, and paste and do it all from my, my chair here. Um, but it's just been great because it is a good way to, you know, have those serious conversations have that like post-test pep talk. There are always students that do well, but then there are always students that do less well than they wanted to. Or there's that one question that tripped up more people than I would have expected. Or, you know, and, and there's a good chance to talk people up and, and to help people focus on where they should be concentrating. And then after that, a few minutes, 
you can laugh it off and get back on track by by just sharing some of the stuff that brings a smile to people's faces, including my own. So, um, yeah, that kind of just, uh, I want to say it happened pretty naturally the first times that I taught and it was popular enough that it's just become a thing I do, you know? And, and can you remember e either the first doodle or, or the first doodle that kind of caught you off guard? It was like, wow, someone actually drew this on a test. When they there, there were some, there was one uh, picture of a knight that somebody drew and it was just like, for no real reason whatsoever. It was just this gorgeous shaded picture of a knight on the back of their exam. It had to take them half an hour. They did really well on the test, as far as I remember, um, but spent an incredible amount of time drawing this beautiful armor and a shield and an, like an ax or something like that. And it was like ridiculous. It was so detailed. I was like, what, what are you doing? It was, it was incredible. But there were, there were some other things. I've, I've taken it to carefully making like a little bit of fun of some like rid ridiculous answers. I remember there was one, um, there's one problem in a differential equations class a few years ago. We we're doing exponential growth, a really simple application of differential equations. And I was using uh, actual population data from like the world's population to showcase exponential growth over time. And a simple exponential curve really closely models um, the growth of the human population from like 1900 through to like 2015 or whatever. And I tried to link that to, you know, um, I don't know, population ecologists and so on that estimated the carrying capacity of the earth to be 10 billion people or whatever. And so I said, at what year, how many years in the future would we be estimated to reach this carrying capacity, supposing that exponential growth continued? And, you know, the right answer was like 2036 or something, something like this. Um, and of course, there are reasons why we, why the growth might curtail before we get there and so on. Like details, details. But some of the answers we got were freaking hilarious. Like answers that were a thousand years in the future, answers that were 15 years in the past. Don't ask me how, you know. And then one in particular where the answer, for whatever reason, was like, 1.3 times 10 to the 2,754. Like it was some incredibly large number. <laughs> that's like, I ended up going through this, this series of like, let's just get some idea of sizes of numbers. And I was like, here is the number of people that live in Canada. And I drew that out, like just a text file. And then I was like, okay, here's the number of dollars in the US national debt. And it's this much bigger number. And there's like, here are the number of teaspoons of water in Lake Ontario. And it was some much, much huger number. And then I was like, here's the, the weight of the world in grams. And it was this much, much huger number. And then I said, here's the answer that the student gave with all due respect. And it was basically as long as that longest number, except copied about 50,000 times over. It was, it was actually insane. And I, I literally took the time to get it exactly right by copying and pasting the right number of zeros in like forms that I like held the page down button for like about a minute or so to get to the bottom of the number. And I was like, that's wrong. That's not the correct answer. <laughs> so, and, and ultimately, right, I don't, I don't like to make too much puns. I don't want to make a, but it was really funny. And I think the class that it was really, really funny too. Um, 
But you can end up even using those things as like learning moments to say, hey, if you get to an answer, maybe you should check to make sure your answer makes sense considering the question. You know what I mean? Because you can do that a lot of the time. You can look at your final answer and think about it, reflect on it for 15 seconds to say, you know what? Like, does this answer actually provide a feasible solution to the problem? And if it doesn't, maybe we should look at the problem again and, and see if we can get come to a better solution. So yeah, those are some of the memorable ones that I, that I have in mind. And uh, yeah, it's never, it's always lighthearted. It's never like, you know, trying to, to, to put a thumb on top of a student that gave a wrong answer or whatever, but there are some good moments that we've had for sure. Yeah, I think we've all been there at some point. I'm pretty sure I had a word problem one time where it's like, you know, find out how fast this car is going. And then I gave a, an answer and it's like, ah, this is faster than the speed of light. That's <laughs> probably not right. Uh, yeah, some some scale would be nice. Um, and, and you recognize but, too, when there's only like a minute and a half left in the test and you're like, you know what? I'm not going to redo this. This is fine. My, my super hyper light speed car is fine for now. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm only here from part marks. I don't think I've gotten <laughs> perfect in, in anything. Part marks is, is my God at this point. Um, but no, that's fair. Um, and that kind of segues into the next question that was asked by our survey. Um, what was the best or sort of favorite question that you've ever asked on a, on, on an, on an examination? Was there one where it's kind of like, I'm going to put this down be like, I'm, I'm going to get them with this or, or this is kind of a creative question or anything like that. So it's funny. Okay. I've never intentionally set out a question with the purpose of getting students. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm asked that fairly frequently, actually. It's like, oh, our first test had an average of 74. Are you going to try to kill us in the second one? Like, well, that's not really how it works. You know, there is the potential. So when I'm going to design tests, I typically throw in some boss music and, uh, uh, I don't know, grab a pad of paper and doodle some stuff. Some of that stuff is really standard stuff, like some turn the crank kinds of questions that if a student is practiced in class, there should be no problem putting this together um, on a test. And then there are other ones that where I like to kind of say, okay, if the student has the concepts down and really understands what drives those, you know, straightforward sorts of questions, they should be able to take those ingredients and tackle this kind of question that they haven't seen before. Um, and, you know, you can call this whatever you want, extensions, you know, blending knowledge or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I would say that, I, I don't know, in the first couple of years that I taught, I was not confident enough to uh, just throw stuff like that together and say, hey, go for it. Um, but as you grow, like as you, as you keep uh, teaching a course again and again, you start to warm up to things, you read things, you encounter, situations you you find this thing online you're like oh that's really cool um but moreover you just gain confidence in your own knowledge mm -hmm. and so i've come up with some really great questions um on final exams for differential equations when it comes to blending those concepts i remember doing like uh, i don't know a couple of years ago I, I blended like a a power series question with a system of equations so you had to like use two different power series and and find the coefficients of one, but then to find all of them, you had to sub into the other one and do this kind of like back and forth approach to, and that was, that was pretty nuts. Um, but really drawing upon 
no different knowledge than we've talked about, but in a really different context that involved like a little bit of linear algebra and a little bit of like, you know, almost like uh, working with a system of equations instead. And uh, I found it really interesting. Uh, some students got perfect on it, but there, there weren't many. But every time I ask questions like that, we will always look to give credit wherever we can for, you know, did you do this thing that makes sense? Cool. Well, we'll give you a couple of marks for that. You know, like, um, but I really like seeing what, how students will respond to that. Like you really get inside people's heads that way. And if I'm reading through a solution and I'm like, oh my God, they, they like totally found the way through. That's, that's huge. You know, that really, um, it lets me see like brains truly at work, I guess, which is pretty mm -hmm. inspiring. So I, very cool. I remember, I think on one of, or on our year's differential equations final, there was a question similar to that, where uh, <laughs> I think it might have been your year. Yeah, well, I, I think it, I remember it being a system of equations that we had to use the Laplace transform on the system to like get the solution and stuff. Oh, that's possible too. There are a lot of different connections you can make there at the end that you don't really go into, but that um, there's no reason you couldn't explore. It's just that there's not enough time in the day, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just remember at the end talking to my friends and being like, I made up math on that <laughs> final. <laughs> like, there was some Linals that I pulled out of nowhere. Um, yeah. Okay, so I guess uh, we'll, we'll wrap up the segment on student questions soon. Um, we got this one here that's, uh, what's the what's the weirdest conversation that you've had with a student? The weirdest conversation I've had with a student? I had one student who, the very first, the very first year that I taught, there was one student that was obsessed with Pokemon and wanted me to trade something with him the entire time. And it didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen, and then it happened after our final exam um, of Calculus 2. And so... He still has my level 91 hair across to this day. Um, that just happened. I don't know that it's weird. Um, I would say that one thing that threw me completely off guard was after the first year that I taught differential equations, the next summer, some students that were in that class uh, sent me a message and simply asked me if I was interested in joining their ultimate Frisbee team because they knew that I did some, some running. Uh, at the time. At the time, I hadn't played Ultimate Frisbee at all. Um, I had heard of it, but I mean, I don't know. I was kind of an awkward uh, like high school student. I was never involved in sports. I didn't do team sports. That was just not something I ever did. And so I responded to the message like, that's really cool that you would ask, but you know, I have some stuff. I'm busy. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to, and I don't know what I'm doing. So, so thank you for offering, but no. And then I, I, I don't know, a, a, a day went by and I was thinking to myself, that's just a big pile of crap. Um, that's a, a whole lot of me just throwing up excuses because I wanted to stay in my, you know, safe zone or whatever. And so I, I sent a message back to the student a day later and, and basically said exactly that. I just kind of forced myself to say, you know what, never mind. I, I'd like to try this. Um, and I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sorry for being like, you know, hot and cold about this, but I think it'd be pretty cool to have the chance to, I don't know, to interact with you guys and 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 learn more about this board and all that kind of stuff. And I sucked. Um, it was it was pretty cool though, because I was on that team. I learned a lot that summer. And then we played together the next summer as well. And the third year, um, 
Uh, no, in the second year, I did join a group of uh, 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 physics students um, as well that were interested in playing like intramurals and stuff. And uh, so I was then on like a couple of different teams then, and I was still pretty crappy. Um, and then, yeah, when it looked like one of those teams was going to fall apart because the captain, she was graduating, in order to keep the fire burning, I was like, I'm going to take this over now because it had become a good, important part of my summer. And, uh, yeah, then I started captaining the team and I started up another team because a lot of people were interested. And then I was playing before I knew it, like three or four times a week. And then it just grew into this like incredibly important part of my life. But it started from such a strange seed because who would just email their prof to ask them if they wanted to play ultimate frisbee with them out of nowhere, especially if they hadn't ever played before. But now it's like, I can't even imagine it being not part of my life. And that's part of what COVID's like. It's sucky because I don't have that. Um, and it's become like, I don't know, such an important um, physical activity source and like social source and like all of the stuff that is core to my life now. So, yeah, I would say that that's a very strange interaction that had a very positive, um, uh, I, I would say end game, but I still play. So <laughs> that's pretty nuts. Um, no, it's really cool. And, uh, and, and I mean, you, you've put out notices for like, you've been promoting ultimate Frisbee at the school, you know, uh, pretty much, uh, most of your, like every year for your classes. Yeah, I, assume, um, like, you know. I worked with the school team. Um, uh, well, I guess 2019 in the fall to try and get, uh, some, some more people recruited. And I know a lot of people that work on the school team. Um, and, uh, I really wish I'd gotten involved a lot earlier in life, but I did have the chance to, they didn't have that much, uh, I don't know. So so there are tournaments that are mixed tournaments, like guys and girls, and they needed guys and they asked me to play with them. And it was like, I was so excited about that. And it was such a crazy experience. And oh my gosh, those people are so, so good. And I felt like a fish out of water, but it was so awesome. And I feel like I was like capturing something that I missed along the way. And then I couldn't move for about a day. <laughs> That's how it goes. Um, that's fair. We're uh, we're approaching our time here, but before we go, uh, I just wanted to ask you. You know, what's what's happening right now? What are you up to now? And what are your plans for uh, for the near future? Yeah. Um. Right now, I'm trying to just I don't know, stay afloat. I guess things are very busy. Things are the COVID times have been tough, and uh, I think that goes for students. It goes for faculty. It goes for administrators. It goes for just about everybody at the university. Um. You know, there are a lot of expectations to be done from this chair, this chair that I'm sitting in right now. And, you know, there was a time when that seemed really convenient. And now it's just exhausting when you go from a meeting and you're in this chair to writing reference letters and you're in this chair to recording a lecture in this chair to doing office hours in this chair to doing a podcast in this chair. <laughs> like, it's so grating after a while. And I think everybody's feeling that more and more. Um, but we don't have a lot of choice in the matter. Uh, and I'm trying to come to turn terms with that. And I'm trying to deliver uh, some positive experiences in my course. We're doing the best that we can with it um, <laughs> from this chair. And uh, I guess I, I have learned a lot, right? Uh, in the fall semester, I delivered differential equations in a series of YouTube videos plus some live labs. And, uh, you know, I think that the work was really pretty good, but 
Um, as you mentioned earlier, Elliot, I did start streaming and doing some like video games on Twitch uh, in the fall. And it's funny because those experiences have been really good in trying to have some sort of social outlet. Um, but at the same time, I've learned a lot about video capture, about different sorts of options and ways to make things better. So I was excited because numerical methods came this semester and I now had videos that had like really cool overlays and transitions and all of this kind of stuff that I didn't really know about going into the fall semester. So making better videos now, I think they're better videos now, has been really fun to do. That's also partly um, due to student feedback after last semester, like listening to students, seeing what they would like to see in those lectures and trying to make them better. Um, so yeah, it's kind of funny that those, you know, seemingly unrelated Twitch experiences have, I think, helped me to learn a lot about my job um, and how to deliver that a little bit, uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit better. <laughs> and I guess getting to the end of the course, that's that's really what I'd love to do. I have a, a graduate student and a project student that um, my fourth year project student is, is going to be working on a, a project that kind of uh, puts together some uh, cellu cellular automata, which is kind of like a discrete dynamical system with fractals in a really interesting kind of way. And my graduate student is doing a little bit of research on certain um, epidemiological models that are to be applied to COVID actually. So she's been working on certain kind of, I want to say crazy systems of differential equations and some uh, interesting ways of predicting parameters and so on. So I'll be working a lot with her to help her finish up um, that research. And hopefully she'll be finished by the end of the spring or into the summer. So those are kind of my next steps from a job perspective. But the center point is definitely like, got to truck through this course, 464 students, MATLAB and go. <laughs> All from the chair. All from the chair. <laughs> All from the chair. I'm gonna throw this thing. I'm gonna throw my chair out once this pandemic's over. I'm sick of it. I think, I think, it, hate, so I think it hates me too. I know. <laughs> I know. Really I know. And uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll either award it or or get rid of it. I haven't decided yet. It depends. Um, but that's great. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. Really love this talk. It, it's always great talking to you. Uh, where can uh, where can more people? Where can our listeners, you know, find out more about you? Maybe find your your stream and and find out more information on you. Oh gosh. Um. I mean, so I stream. Um. On if it's about my stream, I'm Wonder Slime. It just sounds. Okay. Exactly, I I'll let you figure out the spelling of that. Uh, it's because I'm a, a big Dragon Quest fan, like a, a, a an RPG series. And that's kind of where that comes from. You're certainly welcome to drop in and uh, say, hey, drop a follow if you if you would like. Um, the, the ongoing joke with my students has been subs for marks. And I'm like, not in your life. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's been really fun. And I have uh, a, a pretty good community growing. Um, but I mean, regardless of whether you're into gaming or or... or or what, you can always contact me through email, of course. My email is listed on uh, the Math and Stat website or uh, mdemars at uofwealth.ca. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, gents, this has been great. Thanks so much. Matt, thanks for coming on, telling us a bit more about you. Yeah, thanks. And Josh, thank, thank you so much for co-hosting. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and, no worries. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll catch you all on the flip side. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and stay safe out there. Well, take care of yourself. Thank you.